me in. And we're back. No, we're not. <laughs> we never left. Yeah, hold on. <laughs> Greetings, troubled listeners. Welcome back to the Troubled Men podcast. I am Renee Coman, sitting once again in the heart of the Clempire, Snake yeah. and Jake's Christmas Club Lounge, with my co-host, the original Troubled Man for Troubled Times, and future mayor of New Orleans, Mr. Manny Chevrolet. Welcome, Manny. Hey, man. How have hey. you been? I'm good. How I'm good. You? How, how, how have you been? I've been doing all right. Very, very busy. Uh, Happy birthday. Oh, uh, yeah. It was my birthday. Right, right. Thank uh, you. you caught up with me. Mine was about a month ago. And, yeah, uh, that's right. Yours is on, uh, what is your birthday? Uh, it's a Notorious Day, September 11th. All uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. You're 9 11. Right, yeah. right. Well, that right, explains right. a lot. Sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, all- but uh, your birthday, I, I know it's, uh, you know, it, 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 you don't have it published anywhere, but I remember that y- you share a birthday with a mutual friend of ours, and you told a story last year um, about uh, a ritual that you guys would... Uh, Who's that? Uh, uh, our, our good friend, uh, Maria. Oh, yes, Maria, and, and, yes. And you said yeah. that you guys had, a, since you share a birthday, that yeah. you, you, do you remember the... the your, no, I don't No? Know. <laughs> <laughs> so that ritual, every, I don't every want to day, say anything. Every day that, uh, well, on your birthday, you guys would just meet in the morning and uh, share a speedball. And oh, you, right. <laughs> and yeah, you'd yeah. go about your days. Right, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. That didn't happen this year okay. for some reason. Right. I think she was busy. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I was, uh, you know, uh, as a ritual, my mom always told me this. Since I was a little kid, she said, never go to school and never work on your birthday. Hmm. That's what my grandfather did. He never worked on his birthday. Yeah, I, yeah. so I've done that pretty much my whole life. Really? I mean, there's been a couple times where I had to work on my birthday. But, uh, you know, uh, she said, uh, don't do it. And I remember, you know, as a kid, like a, a fifth grader, my birthday was like on a Thursday. And... Uh, you know, she just say you don't have to go to school today. And that was kind of cool. Oh, huh, really? Yeah. So it was a good day. I didn't do much of anything. I just uh, I just kind of chilled at home all day. I, I did uh, text Maria and wish her happy birthday. Okay. And, and she wished me happy birthday. I think she was... Um, I don't know why we didn't get together. I think she was basically hung over from the night before. I think she'd been partying a lot the night before. Okay. I don't know. I can't... I can't prove that, but uh, right. because when she texted me, there were no verbs on the text, so <laughs> that was weird. That was kind of weird. There were no verbs. Um, anyway, it's just but, a list. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. basically that what it was. What it was. Yeah. It was a picture of her, you know, with her head in the toilet. Oh uh, well. Know. Yeah, I, I, I don't know, but but. Uh, I did end up going out to dinner that night with my family, my wife and child and her boyfriend, and had a really horrible experience at this restaurant. Uh, it's over actually in this neighborhood. It's hmm. over here on uh, Jeanette Street, uh, Boucherie. Right. Yeah, it was. Uh, I got some very good reviews. Yeah, stuff my like sister that. always raves about that place, but it's uh, it's very trafe heavy. There's a lot of pork and. Uh, that's well, yeah, I'm there's doing. a lot of well Boucherie, you know. Right, so. Right, right. Um, it was um, some of you know. It was weird because well, the first, the worst thing was they sat us near the bathroom. That was that. That was a bad start right there. <laughs> I could tell you were a big tipper. Yeah, <laughs> right, the bathroom. And then what happened was 
what happened was the waiter comes up and he introduces himself and we you know we said we never been here before we're checking it out and stuff I said it was my birthday mm-hmm. all that kind of, and then so uh, we order a couple apps or appetizers you know and um, my daughter of course anywhere there's french fries she's going to order french fries and they had some fancy type of french fry whatever um, but then like we're waiting and waiting and waiting for a very long time we already got some cocktails we're waiting and then I asked the waiter I go why are we why are we waiting so long and he said yeah uh, I, I, there's only one guy cooking in the kitchen and the place was pretty packed apparently no one showed up like the sous chef the line cook just the head chef was there hmm and he was cooking everything. Oh, jeez. So, um, you know, we were waiting a long time. And then uh, my wife decided to do this, uh, you know, three-course pairing kind of thing. Or, oh, you know, fancy. Yeah. And uh, her first one we all shared. And then, like, about 20 minutes later, uh, my daughter started feeling sick. Oh, man. And uh, we'll make a, you know, And then what happened was we waited so long. He kept bringing us free drinks. <laughs> so that was the problem. You know, he kept bringing. Because I'm so sorry. Here's another round for you. Uh huh. So your daughter was uh, getting tipsy and. Well, no, she was on the uh, lemonade, and, oh, her, okay. and her boyfriend was on gummy bears. Okay. Uh, but. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, it was in these days. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so to make a long story short, it, it was. My, it was funny because. My daughter came home and she threw up. Oh, jeez. And her boyfriend came, went back home to his house, and the next morning he almost threw up, he said. My wife was, like, gagging a lot when she got home. I felt fine. Okay. <laughs> I was fine. And I went to work the next day, and I was hearing all this stuff from my wife, you know, mm-hmm. your daughter threw up, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, I don't know. I, I was fine. So but not it was, necessarily uh, a yeah, knock on the restaurant, then, but... Well, there was a few knocks on the restaurant. Okay. And then what happened was, when he brought me the check, he had like put stuff that we didn't order. Oh, jeez. It was like, like almost $100 worth of food we didn't order. Wow. So they're really getting confused. Yeah, they there. were very confused. And I think, I think they all got sick because they had some other waitress or hostess Wand, go around to every table and give like a free sample that the chef was making and it was some kind of like it's very strange little like, like a little one bite thing and it's like mm-hmm. a little one and a moose and, bouche yeah, yeah and it was like it had like some kind of goat or blue cheese with cactus or something like that it uh-huh. was very odd and yes. I think that's maybe why, how they got sick okay you know yeah. but I didn't get sick you All know right. so I, I felt okay And but it's funny because I was on the way home the whole car was quiet, because you know, everyone's. Like, I think my daughter's getting ready to, you know, to throw up. Uh-huh, Her boyfriend doesn't talk much anyway. Right. He's a good kid though. Okay. And my wife was just, you know, about to pass out, I think. But I was thinking on the ride home, it's like it's weird. Like every time we go out for a birthday dinner, something like just wrong happens. You know, we've never really had a really good birthday dinner. Like when we were in L.A. last year. For my wife's birthday, we went to this restaurant, and uh, my she got in a fight with my daughter. You know, they were fight. So it was like you know, just like no one's talking to each other <laughs> at the table. It's like, well, it's your birthday, you know. Anyway, yeah, so maybe that happened. Maybe I should just stay home next year. Yeah, man. I think so, for yeah, for yeah, my yeah. birthday, I'm definitely gonna stay home right. and just order crack. There you go. There you go. 
You know, anything else going on? Um, well, you know, uh, early on in the show, you you uh, you had some observations way back in the early days. One of them was about the microwave, and yeah. that you had discovered that uh, it works just as well oh, with without the, the door, with yes. the door off as oh, the yeah. door on. Yeah. Well. So uh, yesterday, my microwave started doing this thing where it won't turn off at all. Oh, really? <laughs> so yeah. it, it, uh, it gets to the end of the uh, cycle, and it just keeps running. And, uh, I guess it's time for a new microwave. I think so. Microwave the house down. Unless right. you're cooking flocka or something right. like that. I, I <laughs> you know, don't know. I'd never know. seen that happen before, but I thought, well, here's where we're going to find out if it works just as well with the door off, because I'm going to open it up and see if it still Do runs. Do you want a microwave? Um, well, uh, perhaps. Why? You got an extra Well, one? because about a couple weeks ago, uh, my brother-in-law bought us an air fryer. Uh-huh. Have you heard of these air fryers? Sure, yeah, yeah. And this thing is amazing. You don't need the microwave anymore with these air fryers. Huh. They do it all for you. You can heat up a cup of coffee in the air fryer? Mm, I don't know about that. <laughs> okay. But That's why would you want to reheat coffee? Well, because it gets cold after a while, you know? Yeah. I want to get it real nice and hot. Yeah, so we're yeah. thinking of getting rid of our microwave because you don't oh. need it. We don't really need it. Yeah, I'm probably going to go with the new one. <laughs> You know, and at this point in my life, uh, you know, it's uh, as you and I enter our, our last year of our 50s, I'm, I'm going to splurge and get a new microwave, I think. Ah, yeah. that's amazing, because this is a cheap fuck we're talking <laughs> well, about. Wow. You, know, you know. I mean, I'm offering a free microwave. He's not taking it. Right, that's right. That's amazing. Well, I'm this thinking, guy is a cheap uh, motherfucker. I'm, 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 I'm thinking of my wife. If I show up with a secondhand microwave, I don't think it's... It's a Panasonic. Uh, it's no, a fucking I, does everything, no, I, I No, I, look, there's... I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that would be damn happy to get that microwave that, that you got. Okay. So, uh, Reach you know, out to me, people who yeah. want a microwave. All right. Yeah, you could have out. Manny Chevrolet's microwave. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, but, you know, there's one thing going back to that birthday dinner. Uh-huh. And they seated us right near the bathroom. And, you know, um, what's not a good look when you leave the bathroom for anyone is smelling your hands. That's never a good look. <laughs> and I noticed that at this restaurant. <laughs> really? Yeah. There's a couple people. Hey, take care of that before you leave. The yeah, there was, a, there was a, it was, you know, unisex bathroom. Right, right. So uh, I just noticed that, you know, people. Well, you know, if you're washing your hands and you, you know it's gonna, they're going to smell like soap, right? So well, yeah. You have to assume these people aren't washing their hands. Well, I don't know what they're doing, yeah. but they're smelling their hands. <laughs> yeah, so it looks it, bad. It does not a good look for people. I mean, I can kind of see it if the sink is outside the bathroom. <laughs> well, I, I didn't go to that a, kind of restaurant. I, ate at a ta- <laughs> I was at a taco restaurant in Chicago where the sink was outside the bathroom. I thought that was a little weird, but okay. Yeah, yeah, I've That's seen that. That's kind of strange, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have seen that, though. Just yeah, keep you from doing blow, maybe. I don't know. Well, um, yeah, I, I don't know. But uh, anyway, what else is going on? So you get it, your mic. So did you test it without the door? Um, well, it turns out when I open the door, it does turn off. So that's, oh, that's the one way to turn it off. Oh, okay. And, uh, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm seeing yeah. if it's going to return to its normal yeah. state before I go go yeah. have to so, uh, to buy. So are you one. one of these people who are going to like uh, go online and look for the best microwave? 
you know, or the one that fits your kitchen, one that, you know, uh, is, looks good in your kitchen, yeah, or are you just going to buy one? I think I'm going to buy, try to buy the exact same size and type that I had before, because uh, it matches the rest of our kitchen. So, stainless did you steel overcook and, anything because of this? No, no, no. no, no. I mean, we were, you know, we were, my, my wife was very alarmed when it first started doing this, and uh, she didn't want to use it at all. I just unplugged it when that was happening, and I, I plugged it back in and figured See, out, well, we really don't use the microwave much for anything anymore. Yeah. We haven't done it in a while. Yeah, I mean, I use it to reheat a plate of food. You know, we have leftovers, you know. I use the oven for that. Yeah. It's much better. Huh. Like like reheating pizza in a microwave, the worst. Well, yeah, no, I would yeah, never yeah, heat. Yeah, I, I have yeah. a toaster oven that I would uh, heat yeah. a piece of pizza. No, the best with, way yeah. to reheat pizza is in a pan. Hmm. A pan, you put the slice in the pan, and you sprinkle some water on top of the slice, and then you cover it. Mm. And that water brings out the moisture back and everything, the sauce and the cheese. And then, of course, the crust gets crispy down there, too. Right. It's very nice. Okay. That's anyway, a, that's I, a, this is not a home shopping channel. It's <laughs> you know, not a cooking channel. Let's move on to something else. Okay. Um, uh, well, you know, so, so they had, uh, it's, it's uh, coming up on, on Halloween here. Yeah. And they, of course, uh, in New Orleans, we have to have a parade for Halloween. So we yes. have the crew of Boo. Did yeah. you go to the crew of Boo? No, I, no, I, I, no. I knew what the answer I was. I, I, just... I wouldn't go to the crew of Boo. <laughs> yeah, no. I didn't go either. No. Yeah. Um, I don't know anyone who went. Um, yeah, it, uh, so yeah, that was fun, I guess, you know, but not going, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was fun not going, <laughs> but you know, I, I, did you hear today, big news today, hmm. it's big news today in Iran, in the small village in Iran, uh, the country of Iran lives a man named, uh, oh, Ama Amu Haji. Yeah. Is this a limerick? Who, no, no, okay. he was uh, apparently the world's dirtiest man. Yep. <laughs> he had not bathed in over 60 years. Apparently that's not his real name either. It just means okay. like old guy. Well, okay. Oh, yeah, well, dirty old fuck <laughs> yeah. or something like that. Yeah, dirty old man. But apparently he was afraid of bathing because he thought he would get sick from bathing. Now, I know how he got this. I saw pictures of him, and he, and he looked like a guy who hadn't bathed in 60 years. Yeah. But he also lived like in this little concrete shack and... You know, he's pretty much probably just the village idiot or whatever. Mm -hmm. But they made a documentary about this guy in 2013 called The Strange Life of Abu Haji. So the villagers, just in the last week or two, I don't know how they did this because he was so, you know, for 60 years he didn't bathe. Right. Just like I haven't washed my hair like in over 30 years. Or right. Whatever. But he decided not to bathe for 60 years because he, he was feared. Of, he feared, I guess he feared the water or whatever. But they convinced him. The villagers convinced him to bathe, uh -huh. and like a week later, he died. Wow. Well, He's dead now. There you go, man. So, you know, Maybe he was right. Yeah, so you know, there's you something know, in that water, I guess. I, I don't know that it was the bathing. I think it was the sudden change. Well, I, I have no idea. The... But he was living this last year or two in Camp Lejeune, so that's where he was living. So <laughs> okay. maybe that had something to do with it. I have sure, no idea. Sure. But they had I mean, pictures. Or that he was 96, I and mean, he could have been that. Yeah, we don't know. Well, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, records uh, in Iran are, you know, probably not spotty. Yeah, spotty yeah, yeah. at the best, you know, that they're, uh, yeah, but it's sad. That but he was yeah. no spring chicken. Any, any well, no, he was no spring yeah, chicken, yeah, yeah. but, you know, maybe, I don't know if he took a hot bath or did he take uh, just a cold shower? Or, I mean, uh -huh. they didn't really 
did go, go into details yeah. or did he just go in the lake and bathe? Or I, I right. have no idea. The village in Iran somewhere, not like not in the big city or anything. You're right, like it's that. out in the. So yeah. all that time he had never been like into a, a river or anything. Never. Uh, uh, they didn't sell that. Those, a, I, I don't know. I have swim, to look, at, look for the documentary. Dip. It came out in 2013. Okay. All right. Uh, it's all about him. Check and, uh, He seems like a good guy though, or was <laughs> a good guy. Why not? You know. But what do we know? You know, uh, when I was a kid, I didn't want to take a bath, you yeah. know? He just stuck with it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He's living the dream. Yeah, he's living <laughs> his dream, exactly. Yeah. But now there's this other guy. Huh. So they were saying he was, the, like, the oldest person to do this, and now there's another guy that wants the crown. Oh, really? He's outside the whole... Dave Clemens over here? The, no, whole, no, no. the holy city of Varanasi or Varanasi, whatever, you know, whatever uh-huh. you, it's called in India. So this guy says he takes fire baths. Ooh. And he'll, he'll, you know, you can go... See him do it. He like gets, he smokes weed, and like jumps over a fire, and that's that cleans him. That's what he says. Okay, he burns the germs off. That's all the bad smokes them really. off. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of dirty old men, have you noticed the commercials of our senator John Kennedy? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's got quite a call quite a call quite, crackhead. Yeah, quite a puss on him. Man. Yeah, quite, quite well, a, quite I a keep mouth. watching these commercials, and every time I look at him, I go, he looks like an old lesbian. He's got the weirdest lips, man. Yeah, like and the, super... who's ever doing the makeup for these commercials are making him look like an old lesbian. Yeah, he's, he's yeah, got like yeah. he has almost no lips, but what right. tiny thin lips he does have, they put like a lipstick on. Right. Yeah. And then the funniest thing is, he goes, "I push for this, and I push for this, but did you accomplish it?" Is what I want to know. You can right. push for all you want. If the nation doesn't know John Kennedy is. He's our senator from Louisiana. He's a Republican uh, guy who was a Democrat. For the longest time. Was it? Yeah. And then I guess in the last 20 years, he, he went to the other party. Yeah. So, um, but he was that one who had that great commercial around 10 years ago where he said, we should all love each other, but you should carry a gun just in case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, he's full of uh, folksy aphorisms. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> you know but... I think that commercial went national and that got viral or whatever they call it. Right. But right. yeah, he, he you know, we'll, we'll see. He's going to win probably. Sure, so. sure. All the incumbents win every yeah, time. Yeah, yep. exactly. Anything else announce with you? Or no, we got to introduce no, our guests? No, let's get to our guests. Oh, wait, there's one thing. Speaking oh. of homeless, dirty people. Okay. Uh, I, uh, I go by these two homeless guys pretty much like three times a week over by my, uh, the, the ring room. Mm-hmm. And... And they're always chatting, barking. I kind of ignore them. You know, I just walk by them and stuff. But this time, I happened to listen to what they were saying. And the one guy said to the other guy, he said, (laughs) he said, these guys are probably like in their, probably like a little older than us. Uh You know, they look like they haven't bathed in maybe a week or two. (laughs) Sure. You know, but but they have a drink probably in their hand. But anyway... (laughs) This is so funny. I was walking by, and I caught their conversation, and the one guy said to the other, he goes, man, when the fuck were you ever a goalie for the Toronto Maple Leafs? So I thought that was kind of funny. Sure, man. You because never know where somebody came from. You know, yeah, you see, you see. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I. Well, they didn't have teeth, so maybe they did play hockey. Hey, no absolutely idea. fits the profile. Yeah. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> so I thought that was kind of funny. Anyway, let's get to our guest because yes. he's exciting to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I've been uh, trying to line this guest up for a while. His name's been in the book for uh, for a, a number of years. Actually, he's a very busy guy. He's a terrific. Uh, 
baritone saxophone player, plays bass saxophone as well, a composer. Uh, he's uh, plays with a bunch of different bands. He's been with uh, uh, Trombone Shorty for, uh, I don't know, 14 years or so. Also plays with the New Orleans Klezmer All-Stars and uh, uh, Roger Lewis's Baritone Bliss, our former guest, Roger Lewis. And, uh, and he has his own uh, diesel combustion orchestra. And uh, we'll get into all the details of his terrific career. But without further ado, the great Mr. Diesel Dan Ostriker. Welcome, Dan. Hey, Thank man. you. How are you? Made me sound so fancy. Well, that's that's what we like to do here. Yeah. We like to butter butter the guests up. Right? Show, it's early in the show, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Get ready, man. Right? Yeah. So, so Dan, uh, uh, Ostriker. Uh, it's, it's actually Ostriker, right? Uh, Ostriker. Oh, okay. So I, I had to look that up today. Do yeah. you know what it means? I do. Okay. You want to tell the nation? <laughs> of the Eastern Reich. Of the Eastern Reich, but but more specifically, it's like... Uh, Austria. Austria, yes. Yeah. Like Dan from Austria. Yeah, which is a weird thing. I mean, my grandmother, who's insane, so who knows, claims that she did this genealogy going back a thousand years, and it's all, all Germans, no Austrians. Okay. So, I mean, that, that, that doesn't really add up to me. But, you know, whatever. She was nuts. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Uh, she you played know, for the Maple Leafs, too, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, Dan, um, you've been living in New Orleans for, for a bunch of years, but uh, you didn't grow up here, did no, you? No, no. Uh, so where, where do you hail from? I'm from Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, okay. Uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Okay, that's a big community there in Pittsburgh. My dad was um, uh, born in Harrisburg. Okay. Yeah, Harrisburg. But he left... He left that area and went to California. He said, I'm never going back there. I mean, that's basically what I did, except yeah. it was New Orleans. <laughs> yeah. 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 He, uh, he, I think he, he lied about his age and joined the Navy right at the end of World War II. And then got, uh, he got a three day pass and he didn't come back for three months. And he got arrested by the MPs and <laughs> taken to some prison in Pensacola where he spent like three months and got out. And moved to California, and that was it, you know. So Dan, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he was a good guy, right? Right. Yeah. So, uh, so tell us about your uh, your life there in Pittsburgh. You have a uh, mom and dad and yeah, a yeah. family. You go to school there. Uh, when do you start uh, playing music? Because saxophone your first instrument? Uh, clarinet was my first instrument. So, you know, I wanted to play. They you know, had like an elementary music, elementary school music program, but I didn't get in. I don't, couldn't tell you why. Mm -hmm. And then we had this really kind of self-motivated band director in my middle school that just really believed that like this kind of tracking system that they had in the Pittsburgh public school system was kind of bullshit and we should get more people more they, more kids involved in music so he like went to all the classrooms and did this like real hard sell <laughs> did this real hard sell pitch okay and you know but they just didn't there was no budget at this particular school for saxophones uh. but there was I wanted to play saxophone but I uh, with this plan that this band director and my parents concocted was that if I played clarinet for a year because it was free that then they would rent this and got straight A's they would rent the saxophone in year two okay because you know in the old days like my father's a saxophone player but everybody started on clarinet like, yeah my father never took saxophone lessons he took clarinet lessons yeah know? I mean in, in hindsight I didn't stick with clarinet and in hindsight I really regret that 
Did you get straight A's? I did. All right. I did. And then, Do you regret that? I don't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, I mean, it was just, you know, school band was kind of my deal. Uh you know, through middle school, that was seventh grade with clarinet and then saxophone in eighth grade and just kind of school band class. That was the extent of my, you know, I, w- I guess I went to like a music summer camp that was still basically just school band in summer. Okay. Is this what year is this? The 80s? Or no, this uh, is uh, probably, was born in 82. Okay, so the 90s. Probably. Yeah, so like 93, 94, somewhere Jesus, in there. you're just a kid, man. Yeah, yeah. 82, <laughs> Jesus. Uh and then at the same time, I had a buddy that was was a violinist who wanted, you know, was like, they don't have violins in rock band, we should play bass. And so, like, the two of us were playing bass together, like huh. electric bass. Okay. So I had this kind of, like, dual life playing bass in punk bands in high school, too. Right. While being, like, a, you know, like a nerdy band kid and during the day. So who are you listening to, though? Uh... At that time, well, okay, so depends on when you're talking about. Well, I mean, like you're learning the clarinet, you want to play sax, you get straight A's, but, you know, what records are you buying? Or what are you listening so to? So I'm already? like, you know, when I'm like 11, nothing. Right. You know, it was, I had to get, kind of get to high school and get on my own, get some money somehow. Okay. To be buying records. Oh, okay. Uh, well, the radio. Who are you listening to? The radio. So, I mean, NPR. What's going on? So my dad is like a you know thinks he's a hippie. So there was like that kind of music in the house. Okay, so you had uh, you had rock records. In yeah, the house like Rolling and, Stones and like right, obscure right. stuff too. Like my dad, he, my dad had this weird obsession with the Fugs. If you know who the Fugs are. <laughs> okay, cool. <The> <laughs> yeah. And like the Doors was probably his favorite band. All right. So a lot of the Doors, and then like. Once you know you're in school and you're playing saxophone and you're showing a little bit of ability, then they're like, okay, well now you have to listen to these great, you know, like the the the, the canonical jazz saxophonists. Sure. So it's like Charlie Parker, Sonny Rollins, yeah, yeah. Coltrane, mm-hmm. Johnny Griffin was a big one. Amuhaji. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, and and then like once I started getting my own money. What was cool is there was there was this record store on Forbes Avenue in Pittsburgh, which is kind of like the main drag in this like super Jewish enclave that I grew up in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this record store was just like one room, like the size of these two tables in the bar, tiny. And uh-huh. one side, say I say records, but it was only CDs. And so like one side was this one guy ran one side and it was all classical and this other guy ran the other side and it was all jazz records and it was like mostly weird obscure stuff like nothing regular Uh and i started just like not eating lunch and saving all my lunch money and bought like spending all my money in this place and the guy figured it out and started like saving stuff for me and the stuff that he gave me would be was wild out stuff like evan parker Okay. You know, like like the Euro free jazz crazy people. Uh-huh. You know. So what would you think of that? I couldn't get into it at first and then became obsessed with it later, like just about everything that I had was exposed to in high school. So like the first time I heard Charlie Parker, I'm like, you know, I couldn't get past the recording quality. Uh. I was just like, what am I supposed to do with this? I can't even hear what he's playing. And just like, you know, 
they had this you you could the place you could sell your CDs and get other stuff, and a lot of my stuff went there if I didn't like it. But this one, I'm like, okay, everyone tells me Charlie Parker's a genius. I'll hold on to it for a little while. Like, listen to it a year later, and it was like the skies were opening and okay. angels were singing. I'm like, oh my god, this is, you know, and then, you know, and I had a similar experience with just the baritone saxophone in general. It was just like Jerry Mulligan never really appealed to me. Huh. And then you know, like my I had this. Like I switched high schools to get to a more, like a better jazz program. Mm -hmm. And the second high school I went to, the teacher there had this husband who was like a working trumpet player, and he wrote all the arrangements for our marching band and jazz band. Uh -huh. And he's like, "Well, you have to hear Pepper Adams." And then it like took me like two years to find any Pepper Adams records because okay. that's really obscure. Even though this is like one of the great baritone players of all time, right. and that was another one where it's just like, what you can even do this on the Barry? Yeah. Like I thought I would, you know, I was like, I was like at this point, I'm like, I, I like playing Barry, but you know, nobody's like burning out on Barry. No one's like killing it on Barry. Like I gotta play alto. I'm gonna switch to alto. I'm gonna switch to tenor because that's the stuff you hear of people like playing virtuosically right now so so barry was the first saxophone that you played no i had an obsession with playing the biggest one okay and like i was too young and this is also pre-internet right so so i was like too young to really know anything and was just like give me the biggest one and they're like yeah biggest one that's tenor and like they, they just decided that because like there was no rental Barry at the music store right and the like when they pulled out the drawer of the method books there was a tenor one and not Barry and so, uh -huh. th so then when like the marching band guy from the first high school I went to came was like you want to play Barry no one wants to play Barry we want you and I'm like wait there's a Barry there's a bigger one you know okay yeah give me that and then it was like oh wait there's a bigger one than that yeah, yeah give me that that's what I want Huh, yeah. really? So so uh, you started playing bass saxophone that early on? or Well, or, or I, just, I started searching for one that okay. early on. So, so that's, not that many that's, bass saxophones that around That school had one. Really? That school had one and sent it in for a picture. There was like, so there's nine high schools and public high schools in like the public school system in Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. At least there were at that time. There's fewer now because mm -hmm. uh, the city's shrinking, but... Then, but there was like a central music department repair facility, right? And so the like, you know, something like a year before I got to this high school, the band director sent the bass sax to this repair facility, and it never came back. <laughs> and so it was like this elusive bass. Like I got a, you know. So the first time I ever actually played one, Loyola. I was a, was when I moved to New Orleans, and I was going to school at Loyola, and Loyola had a loner bass sax. Ah, okay. And was like, and it was a wreck. Barely played, piece of shit. And I only got to play it for like one song on this. You know, they had the Randy Brecker as the guest artist with the mm -hmm. big band of Loyal, and there was this one big band chart where there was a bass sax double in the Barry book. And so I played like ten notes. I'm like, yeah, okay, this. If this is this awesome with this horrible instrument playing only ten notes, I'm definitely getting one. Okay. And. Well, that's a, it's not an instrument you see very much nowadays, but at one time, they used to have like uh, saxophone choirs, right? Where yeah. it'd be like 30-piece band, all saxophones, uh, you know, from from bass saxophone. Yeah, it was like a big vaudeville thing. Right. You know, and they had this, like one of the more famous was this all-female group. Mm. It was like six saxophones with a bass saxophone. And, now, and why like, are they so rare? Why were they so rare? Well, it's... 
It's a big horn. Yeah, it's impractical. It's, it's, I mean, it's it's really difficult to play. They real they got the engineering the most wrong <laughs> of that instrument. And like the with the with the smaller saxophones, there was like a reason to get it right. But they just weren't selling that many of them after the 20s. There was this big saxophone craze in the 20s, and they sold a ton in the 20s. So most of the bass saxophones that are existing are still around from then. Hmm. The one that I eventually got is from like 21, yeah. so super early. Uh, but it's it's really difficult. There's other instruments that can do the things you might want to do on them better based on conventional reasoning that I don't agree with. But it's, you know, it it just fell out of fashion. And it, it was actually really popular. At least the, I've been around some early jazz historians, and what they tell me, I haven't been able to corroborate this in my own research, but what, what they tell me is that it was like if you're a bass player at a, for a, a, a few years in the mid-20s, you were expected to double on bass sax and tuba because of recording. You know, I was going to say, I, I, I played this, uh, this Escona Jazz Festival in Switzerland one time, and we were there for about a week and, uh, you know, had days off and saw some other groups that were playing. And I saw one guy first play a bass saxophone with this band. He was killing fucking fantastic player. The next day he played string bass. He fucking played fantastic. And then the third day I saw him playing tuba with a band. I was like, fuck, I should just quit playing music. I mean, we got one of those here in New Orleans, Tom Saunders. Oh, okay. All right. But yeah. I mean, so it's a thing. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's for a, me, it's just, it's ridiculous. That's what I like about it. And like, yeah. you know, like you got to remember, I, you know, I was like being a band nerd, but I was also like, playing in punk bands and smashing myself in the face with microphones and like breathing in chicks like bleeding in chicks mouths while trying to get laid in 1997 so it's just like how, what's the way to like what's the way to like you know combine these two like bass saxophone yeah that's fucking punk rock it's like fuck some mad max fucking nonsense <laughs> right <laughs> like what's more nonsensical than like mad max like you've got these guys in the desert and fucking speedos it's like doesn't make any sense it's the <laughs> mad max of music that's what I want shit that's stupid and that makes it awesome <laughs> very cool <laughs> so when do you come down here uh, uh 2000 okay, so like the same time i came like down, days yeah. after graduating high school wow oh now now what what brought you to well so you already knew you're gonna go to loyola yeah I, I got i you know it's weird like i wasn't i mean i was just running around being like a 90s kid doing drugs and getting in trouble in high school i wasn't like really like trying to play music but just doing it all the time Nice. Like doing it all the time, not necessarily trying to, if that makes sense. Sure, no, it absolutely does. But the, but I just got like people. There was just these people that materialized in my life and were like, "You should do this." You know, I had this like, I ended up just kind of by accident ending up at this summer school thing at Carnegie Mellon University in in Pittsburgh mm -hmm. playing music, and the guy there was like, "We'll give you a full ride to come here." And I'm like, oh, really? Maybe I should think about doing this. Like, trying to be a musician. Like, you're talking to me like that? Okay. And then it, like, turned out it was just because they essentially had no jazz program. And they, the guy was trying to justify his job and just, like, needed an anyone to go there. Like, like I wasn't really, like, really... I didn't... I only got into two music schools that I applied. Like, at this point, I applied to a bunch of music schools. I only got into two. I failed my audition at, like eight or nine different music schools I got into two this one where I was just grandfathered in because the guy wanted me and uh -huh. Loyola and Loyola still made me audition twice okay so it was like I didn't so it was still I was like oh well I thought this was a long shot it clearly is but like okay I got in 
so I'll go. But like, he was, and then I, I went to him, I'm like, okay, you're giving me this full ride, but they're giving me this money to go to Loyola. What do you think I should do? And he's like, oh, you can get the fuck out of Pittsburgh. You should do that. Yeah. Well, that was a solid, yeah. Yeah. Some solid advice. So you come down, you study with uh, Tony DeGrotti? Sort of. Okay. Tony wasn't so interested in teaching me because I was like, basically knew nothing. Too punk rock. I wasn't even that. It was just like you weren't bathing then, right? (laughs) Yeah, that was that was the issue. (laughs) Jumping on fire pits, you know. (laughs) But uh, it's like I really didn't know anything. I was just a band kid, and Tony was like, you know, my when I first time I ever saw him was like the first class after he'd had this kind of like dream sabbatical. (laughs) Like we've talked about it since because we work together now. You know, it's like it's wa- all this stuff is water under the bridge. Sure, but sure. it's like, you know, uh, he just kind of wrote me off. Was uh-huh. like, we're gonna do real, like, basic, very basic, rudimentary technique, which I totally needed, but I did eventually learn. Okay. And then that's all he wanted to do. And like, if you fast forward a few years, I went to this workshop series in New York called the School for Improvisational Music. There's actually a lot of people my age around my age in New Orleans that are real killer players that have done this program. Okay. Simon Lott, Brian Coogan. Oh, all right. And that, it's because of those two guys that I went, actually. And it's this kind of, like, alternative philosophy music school, like, very anti-dogmatic. Hmm. And it was just like, you know, there isn't a center to this. You don't have to prove yourself as a bebopper. You don't have to prove yourself at all. You just have to decide what the fuck you like and do that. Okay. Like you're you're only beholden to yourself. You don't owe anyone anything. Nice. And and like that sounds like you could get lazy, and you might, but you also might get really motivated because now you're free to do what the fuck you want. Sure. And so I came back. Like I did this program. I came back, and in my first lesson with Tony, I was basically like, "Fuck you for dicking me around for three years. I'm not coming back unless we do this shit that I want to do. And like, just let's just make an agreement here. Like either you get with my shit, and we work on that." Or you just give me a C, and I, you'll never see me again. Uh huh. What happened? And he was like, "No, this is great. Like the reason that I'm a dick to everyone is because no one ever wants to do anything." Okay. So let's do your shit because that's actually really fucking awesome. And then, unbeknownst to me, he goes and wrote with Astro Project, like later this later that month, and told the story in the tour van. Uh-huh. And. James Singleton hired me to be in this band Three Not Four off of that story. That story. <laughs> and like I had no gigs. I still like wasn't really good enough to be gigging. James was just like, Oh, there's a dude that's like that fired up about some experimental music. Like I need that dude. And like so that's really what got me started in New Orleans. Nice. So you're thrown right into the deep end of the pool. Then. Yeah, yeah. Like I had this ridiculous audition that wasn't really an audition in the practice rooms of Loyola with him with like all the like little like jazz kids peeking in. Uh-huh. Like, you know? <laughs> right. Um, and then at the end of the audition, he's like, basically, like I don't remember exactly what he said, so I'm not going to say this is a quote, but uh-huh. like the, the meaning of it, James, was basically just like, yeah, you, you kind of suck at saxophone. Like, actually kind of a lot, but, like, conceptually, there's no one that can hang with you, so I'm going to give you a shot. Wow. And then every gig that I did with him for two years was him just chewing me out about everything terrible that I was doing <laughs> after every gig. And then, like, I, went, I did this, I don't know if you know Justin Peake. Uh, I know the name. Yeah. So we did this duo tour, 
And so I didn't for like a fairly long time. Like I was gone like three months, not just with him. But I was gone like three months and I got, and you know, I kind of really, it was like a turning point in my playing where I like kind of started, to, things started to kind of coalesce uh-huh. and like was really sounding different and like, like an actual real reasonable saxophone player when I got back. And, you know, I had this gig with James and James, like right when I got back and he's just like, oh, you sound good now. Yeah, I wrote this email draft to fire you, and almost sent it three times, but I'm glad I didn't. Wow! <laughs> Just like thanks, James. <laughs> You're right on the bubble, man. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I don't know. I just feel like it's a story of my life. Like I started, I got serious late. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing until I was already. I had no clue about what to work on or what direction to go in until I was already gigging. And every gig I get, I'm in over my head, and I fake it until I make it. That's just kind of the deal. There you go, man. Start in the middle and go from there. <laughs> yeah. Wing it, You'll man. figure it out. Yeah. Well, uh, well, Dan, uh, you know, so often I'll, I'll talk about how, uh, you know, how I know someone or, you know, how, what, what, uh, are you chewing ice there by the, what, yeah, my uh, bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a first. Start giving me booze, you know, what, but, uh, what but, uh, you know, you, you're someone who, uh, we don't know each other well, but I, 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 maybe it's just my own insecurity, but I, I always get the feeling that you've always, uh, looked at me with a certain, uh, wary gaze. I'm not, <laughs> I mean, I don't know what that is. Okay, just you're not quite sure. Yeah. But uh, but anyway, we. Uh, I, I I've known him for 20 years. I look at him. People, the same people, way. You know, I think I just have an active face that I have no control over. Okay, I get uh, this from a lot of people. But uh, but but after I booked you for for the for this podcast, uh, we we coincidentally. Uh, was playing uh, I was playing with the iguanas at DBA and uh, you play w- with uh, Joe Cabral in yeah. the in the Klezmer All Stars so y'all talk all the time and I guess he said come on by we're playing bring your horn and you showed up and and uh, uh, Joe said well we're gonna get up there and play and just whenever you feel like it come on up and stay as long as you want so we're we're up there playing. Uh, playing a few tunes, four or five tunes. We're playing the swamp pop tune. Uh, uh, play the the verse, the 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 bridge, the the. And you third, never went third, up. Third verse, <laughs> third verse. The solo is just about to just about to start. The the door to the stage of DBA flies open, and you you step <laughs> through, blowing the Barry solo on the tune. We all like our head shot to the side. We're like fuck yeah, man, that's a real rock star move there. I mean, you know, I got I got a lot of experience with that kind of stuff these Showbiz. days. Showbiz, yes, yeah. yes. Speaking of which, uh, yes, you're you're out there with the the great uh, Troy Trombone Shorty Andrews uh, yeah. for how many years now? It's July two thousand eight. So when I started. Oh, wow. wow, that's a long time. Going way back there. Yeah. And Orleans Avenue is the yeah. band. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. So how did you wind up uh, playing with Trombone Shorty? I mean, that's a band. You guys play all over the world, festivals. Uh, uh, well, it wasn't like that when I started with them. Okay. Uh, we'll talk about how you got started in that band. Well, okay. It's the first time I met... Well, actually, you know, before we get into that... <laughs> This this seems like a good time to take a break, Manny, and then we can uh, All right. we can yeah. come back and launch Excellent. into you the story. You hold that thought there. I yes. will. Yes. Okay. Hold. It's held. Yeah. Okay. We're gonna. The nation knows what to do. They can go grab a shower if they want, and uh, <laughs> we'll be right back.
And we're back. Back with Mr. Manny Chevrolet. I am Renee Coleman. Back with our guest, Mr. Dan O'Streicher. Uh, so, Dan... From I, the East, from right? The east. From it? the East. Yes. Yeah, from the yes. East. Um, so, Dan, I know you actually are a listener to the podcast, so you're familiar with our, our trials and travails on the, the subject of uh, sponsorship. And, uh, and that we are uh, hanging on by the skin of our teeth with our original sponsor, Loose Change. Yes. Loose Change, Dan. We need it. <laughs> Do you have any? I can tell. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we, yeah. we have Fuck the homeless. <laughs> Give us a use, Loose Change. We right? never played goalie for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. We, we, we weren't so privileged. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but we do have a, a couple of uh, links that you can send us that Loose Change at. Uh, we have the PayPal link. Yeah. And uh, Venmo link. I yeah. Think Venmo is like uh, at troubled uh, slash... Men. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, those notes are in the the those uh, links are in the show notes of every show and yes. the Facebook page. And uh, speaking of Facebook, you can follow us on Facebook and yes. Instagram, and yeah. uh, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Uh, we always suggest you uh, give us five stars, and uh, you can say "fuck Manny and Renee" five stars. That's a great, great kind of uh, review. Yes. And, and the uh, holidays are around the right? corner. And you know what that means. That means uh, murder. Yeah. More murder. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. Well, no, no. But the gift-giving season. Yeah, gift-giving season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we do have the uh, Troubled Men podcast T-shirts. Uh, you, the link, once again, right there on the Facebook uh, page. Yeah, uh, speaking of those shirts, mm -hmm. um, okay. I, I got a text from our former guest, my good friend Abby Wool, the sure. filmmaker. Right. Um, she sent me a... She got her shirt. Okay. What, what size did you... You order for because she wanted just like a small. Well, you said a, a unisex small, so that's what I yeah. got. Yeah, and it looks huge on her. I mean, I don't know if she's shrank since I've seen her. Yeah, but. she might have. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, they do have women's sizes as well, so you know, you don't you don't well, have she, to yeah. settle for uh, yeah. uh, you know for. But she uh, wants to know because uh, she goes, "This is kind of big. Do you have a kids line?" You know. Well, they have women's sizes oh, that, are, okay. that run smaller. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, I don't know. know but, uh, you can't uh, please everybody. That's that's what I know. Yeah, she's a good kid. Sure, sure, yeah. sure, sure. Well, you know, she can uh, she can sleep in it or something. I well, yeah. I mean, I don't think she's going to go in public with it. So okay. Well, yeah. so it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't really matter. Yeah, you know, really a lot matter. of the ladies they'll uh, they'll they'll uh, modify the t-shirts. They'll uh, open up the neck. Uh, they they uh, trim the the bottom down. You know you this know? for a fact. Well, I've seen them do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see, I see people. Uh, you know, do their own their own uh, oh. mods on the, especially uh, the girls. Anyway, so uh, the 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 uh, the link for the Troubled Men podcast shirts again, right there in the uh, the the notes of every show and uh, and the Facebook page. Yeah. And uh, that probably uh, takes care of, of, of most of our housekeeping. So uh, yes. back to our guest, the great Mr. Dan Ostreicher. Uh, I, uh, let's get back to your story. As uh, I had to uh, so abruptly cut you off there, you were you were talking about the early days with the the great trombone shorty Troy Andrews. I actually met him at a rehearsal for New Orleans Jazz Orchestra when he oh, was in high yeah, school. Okay. I had kind of like just talked my way into this rehearsal. Uh, I don't remember if it was Irvin or Ronald, but somebody came to Loyola and was like, we want music librarians for the big band. And so me and this other kid signed up for it, and the other kid like actually wanted to be a music librarian. I'm just like, no, I'm going to like scheme my way into this rehearsal. 
and they were like, <laughs> I like your style. <laughs> and they were like, and the Barry player didn't show up, and they were like, well, you got some balls, kids, so you could be in this rehearsal. Nice. And the then I was, and, and then I was just like, I'm not being the music librarian. Call me when you need a Barry player. Right on. But I now now so since you brought up the New Orleans Jazz Orchestra, that was when Irvin Mayfield was still running the the show, right? Yeah. Uh, so you know, a, and now know. he's just running, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you've you've heard. Uh, it's has been a little bit of controversy associated with the, with that group. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, there was some some like a Carnegie Hall gig that uh, apparently the city of New Orleans paid for. Or I don't know who paid for it, but uh, uh, were, were, were you on that? That the, the, I mean, the, I'm sure it was, it was a cumulative thing, right? I didn't read all the fine print in the Right, article, right, but, but I mean, you were traveling with the band? Or so, I mean, I got fired January 2008. Okay, might have dodged a bullet there. Yeah, Dan. I definitely think I did. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because also, like, you know, I also, when talking to other guys in the band, I got in, I was in for this very brief kind of golden period where it was a good gig, like it paid well. Uh-huh. You know the the conditions on the road were pretty good. You know what I mean. Right. And, and then it was just like, and that wasn't making Irvin happy. And then, right? well, I think he just started eating up the whole budget with all this bullshit yeah. that he yeah. was doing. <laughs> and the money went down, and the conditions on the road went down. But I got fired before any of that happened. Right on. You know, and 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 you know, Troy was paying big fat donkey dick when I started with him. So, like, I'm not sure I would have said yet said yes to the money that I was being offered if I was not hard up because I just because I'd lost my gig six months before. Okay, it's all working out. Yeah. Okay, yeah. all the pieces are falling into yeah. place. All right. So, when you start at the ground floor with Trombone Shorty, basically. I mean, ish, depending on how you look at it, because he had this band with these kids since they were like middle school, high school, basically. I mean, I'm not from here. I was not part of that. I didn't go to Noka. As much as people love to tell me they saw me in the square when I was eight, I'm like, there were no Jewish kids <laughs> in the square in the early 90s. <laughs> and like, people love to, you know, oh, there's like an New Orleans family, the Ostreichers, some kind oh. of prominent New Orleans. Huh. So I don't think they say it like we do, but the people tell me all the time, I know your dad. I'm like, oh, really? What's his name? And it's like, that, that's not my dad. Like, yeah. what the fuck are you talking it's just about? just like all the people who said they voted for me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, of course. You know, of course like, you did. You know, people just, I mean, I get it. People just want to feel connected to something that they think is cool or great. You know, I mean, right. I get it. And it's just like, you know, but, you know, I know who my dad is and I know that I wasn't in the square. Just leave me alone. (laughs) But (laughs) so, I mean, Trombosh. How much older are you than him? He's kind of young, isn't he? He, I think he's eighty-six. Oh, so not that much older. Yeah, maybe eighty-seven. I'm eighty-two. Okay, Okay. all right. Because when this show first started, I I learned from Renee that he hates the trombone. No, that's, that's that's not true. No, uh, Manny Manny misremembers uh, what what I said early on is uh, what an unlikely instrument the trombone is for a band leader in uh, you know the 21st century. Sure. Uh, yet surprisingly, there's about six or seven bands in New Orleans that are led by trombone players that are very successful or prominent so yeah. it's, that's, yeah. that's a New Orleans thing you yeah. Know? It's, yeah it's not it, a, a thing outside of New Orleans it's just kind of unlikely is yeah. what I, is, yeah. is, is my point that's not what I but remember I mean, well I know you misremembered I mean he's kind of created this model that people have started following not necessarily on trombone but on other instruments mm-hmm. in other places you know like there's a, 
And yeah. he's also a great trumpet player. Yeah. Yeah. And a, drummer and you know, pretty good singer, yeah, keyboard yeah. player. It's like, fuck you, it's man. He's a very talented kid. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's very, it's funny. The first time I, I or the, not the first time I heard him play, but I, I, we, we played some kind of benefit. The Iguanas played this thing at, at, uh, at Tipitina's, and it was a whole bunch of bands, and Troy played before us. And there weren't a lot of people there. And after that, I was listening to him. I was like, man, I love the, the, this, the way this kid phrases. It's, it's reminds me so much of, of the Lasty brothers. You know, I used to go hear like David and Walter Lasty playing down on, in the French market when I was a kid. They had the Taste of New Orleans band. And I went up and I told that to him. He goes, well, that's my uncle, you know. <laughs> I was like, well, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, the Andrews and the Lasties are related. You know? Yeah, so, yeah. So so you're you're so he has this very young band, but the, he's kind of transitioning. Yeah, okay. So I was in this rehearsal. It's this funny thing. It's like I he, we still we joke about it now. It's like I was in this rehearsal with Nojo. You know, it took me a couple years to get back in the room with Nojo, let alone with Troy. But after the rehearsal, you know, Troy was just very even when he was you know it must have been fifteen or sixteen. Even back then, he was like pretty conscious of you know marketing and image. And mm. was just like you know I need. You know, I'm young and hot shot, and I want other young musicians with me. I don't want to be hiring the the the, the classic. So old he guys. started wearing his pants backwards. Is that what he is? Very much so. Yeah, exclusively. Noticed. Yeah, yeah, wearing his pants backwards. But I mean, it was just like he was under this external pressure to like get George Porter or mm-hmm. Johnny V or whoever, and like nothing against these guys, but he just didn't see that as his pathway to his goals. Right. So he wanted to have this young band, and he was just like, okay, this is like the only, you know, at, at that time, I was probably the second youngest person in the room after him. Uh-huh. So it was like, you know, who are you? What do you do? And he's like, who do you play with? This is the question, the, the classic New Orleans musician question, right? Uh-huh. And I didn't have an answer. I wasn't doing anything at that time. Uh-huh. And he was just like, kind of like, it was like this air of pity came over him, and he's just like, well, don't worry. You know, I'm going to get you a jazz fest. All right. And all he right. gave me his number, and it was like the house number with this lady that he was staying with because he wasn't living with his, his family at that time. So this lady, Susan Scott, had taken him in. We can get into her or not. Okay. That's more his story to tell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, so he got you a brass pass? So, well, I just didn't hear from him for years. <laughs> like This was probably 2001 or two, and I did, literally didn't hear from this man until 2008. And then we played Jazz Fest in 2009, and I was like joking with him about it. He's like, "Well, I got you on Jazz Fest. What are you fucking complaining about?" Uh, I didn't say when. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, I was in his mind because of that, right? Mm-hmm. And then you know, fast forward, he, you know, he did the thing. He went on. He kind of left his own band for a minute because he got the opportunity to join Lenny Kravitz's band, and that right. kind of put him in the map in this bigger way. And when he decided to leave that because that had opened these other doors for himself, you know, that kind of cachet had opened this door for himself. Mm-hmm. But you still have to start at the bottom. It's just that you, the people who answer your phone calls. That's the only difference. Uh-huh. You know, people think that that automatically means the contract numbers are higher. It doesn't. It just means that you get a contract at all. Right. You know, uh, and so and then they, they got this booking agent about six months before I came on, and that like made that's where it really got this thing started. But it's you know very low level, like opening for local New Orleans acts, opening for the Dirty Dozen, opening for Dumps of Funk, things like that. Doing, you know, these kind of like there's a circuit of gigs in uh, Colorado that it's like 
doesn't matter if they've heard of you. If you're from New Orleans, you can go and right all these, those summer ski yeah, right, right, right. things. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Doing, doing that stuff, and then they started having some issues with the saxophone player. And you know, Troy's a very loyal dude. He didn't want to fire him, but he was just like, this guy thinks he's like trombone shorty B. Hmm. But this is no, this is Trombone Shorty in Orleans Avenue. He needs to go back and be in Orleans Avenue, uh-huh. not Trombone Shorty B. Uh-huh. You know? And so he's like, well, in order to make that work, I think I need a horn section rather than it just being me and this one other guy where he thinks he's going to set up in the, his stuff in the front where uh-huh. I stand. We need a horn section. And he basically was just settled on Barry as what he wanted by default. So he's like, I don't want a trumpet player because I don't want to be competing with them. I don't want a trombone player because I don't want to be competing with them. He's like, I don't, he's like, aesthetically, he wasn't into the alto. Right. He's already got a tenor player. So he's like, okay. And then, and they had just done this tour with the Dirty Dozen and you get to hear Roger every night. So he's like, you know. That would be cool. Yeah, that would be cool. <laughs> and like, who's out there that fits the profile? Uh huh. And so he's like, "Oh, what about right age, right?" Yeah. Look, so he's like, you know. "What about this kid that I remember from the jazz orchestra?" And then it just happened to be that I had been at Loyola with the saxophone player who had been a problem, but also the guitar player is still with him. Okay. Uh, and they were and they were like, "Yeah, yeah, get him. That would you know that'd be great." And then it was just funny. It was just because you know I had had this on and off sushi delivery job. Uh-huh. At Mickey Moto here on okay. South Carrollton, right. but you know I had come and gone and had to go back to when I got fired from Nojo, uh-huh. and you know so I'm just like oh you know feeling like my life is in the fucking dumps right like going nowhere and get this call from Troy and he's like this shows you how long ago this was he's like look at my MySpace page uh-huh. and look at the dates and see if you can do them and I'm just sitting there like. And like wants to get off the phone and call have call me again tomorrow. And I'm like, I don't need to look at shit. I, I can tell you right now. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. my, my calendar's open. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but we played this game. I was just like, yeah, I looked out. I didn't think I'll be able to work it out. You All know? right. And so that you know, we like talked about some stuff. And he's like, you know, glad to have you on board. And this lady that had been handling his logistics called me and got me some flights. And after all that, he calls me again. Before the tour, he's like. I forgot to ask you, this is really important. How old are you? Because it's like fucking Menudo. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, like he, he wanted to make sure you weren't too old. Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. So he, he said, you know, this was like either like two months before my 26th birthday. Right? I was like, I'm going with 25, right? We're going definitely yeah. going with 25. <laughs> you know? So I'm like, I'm, I'm 25. There's just like silence on the line. And I'm like, did I just fuck this up? Am I aged out of trombone shorty before I even start? And he's just like, okay, that'll work. I get on tour, and it goes to find out he, it, I was too old. Wow. But they decided that they were going to, you know, all puns intended, grandfather me in because they needed somebody to rent the van without the underage driver fee. Wow. <laughs> nice. But the joke was on him because, like, I'm, you know, wildly financially irresponsible, and I had no functioning credit cards at this time. So uh, I could so they, not... They wouldn't rent you. I could not yeah, rent yeah, the van. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, how many... I've never seen... How many... I've never seen you guys, but how many people are in the band? It's 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 a me bud. It's a little ridiculous these days. It's it's. But not, back then, when it started, back then, when you were trying to rent a van, th- back then it was so it was 
three horns counting Troy, one guitar, one bass. That's five. Drums is six, and a conga player, so seven. Wow. And now it's what, like ten? So no conga player, so that would bring us down to six. But add two background singers, so that's uh. eight. Add a second drum, that's nine. Add a second guitar, that's ten. And add a keyboard is wow. eleven. Jeez, oh, so two band. drum kits? Yeah, and then there's occasionally a percussionist too. Very occasionally. Wow, wow. big band. Uh, one thing I, I had a question about is I, I know you know you do a lot of public gigs, but you guys must do some pretty crazy private gigs too. Oh, yeah. Like occasionally, uh, yeah. You know, like. Uh, like you ever play for like any uh, Arab Emirates or uh, I think the craziest or one, Russian oligarchs or no, anything? nothing like Putin? that. We we did do like public gigs in Russia, and maybe 2010 or 11 when there was some other kerfluffle bu- bubbling up. So like mm-hmm. the, like the the U.S. ambassador to Russia came to the gig and was like, we had we had three nights at this little club in Moscow. And the U.S. ambassador came to the gig and was like, I can't come the other two nights because like shit's hitting the fan. I have to prevent a war. <laughs> wow. You know, uh, so that was l- weird. But I'm th- in terms of like crazy private gigs, I think the craziest one we did was for basically this guy that's probably single-handedly ruining the world. He's like the manager of the, the most successful hedge fund. Huh. And, you know, in finances, pro- uh-huh. probably makes, you know, $100 million a year or some, something stupid. Right. Uh, at the expense of like you know global warming and uh-huh. the GDP of several small nations. And, sure, sure. Know. So he can afford a yeah. A so so shortage. but he paid well, right? So the gig was <laughs> the gig was Devell Crawford with a full gospel choir as the opener. Okay. Us, Doctor John, and Buddy Guy, and everyone was flown on private jets. Wow. And then it was like well, where was this? In Connecticut at a country oh, club. Okay. And then, like, it was, like, fully catered. But then, uh-huh. in addition to the catering, they had this, like, worldwide tour of oysters. So, like, this stand was Gulf oysters, and this stand was Maine oysters, and this stand was, like, French Riviera oysters. Oh, and this, like, <laughs> you people. You, like <laughs> <laughs> you deserve to go to hell. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't make you sign a waiver for playing this game. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. You know? Yeah, like the the Arab. I, mean, I guess the Arabs don't know about us. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> the Shah of Iran. I yeah, mean, you like, figured you'd some yeah. some some uh, emirate somewhere would uh, would uh, you know maybe that's in the future. Something. Maybe so. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, um, just just to shift uh, briefly, a band I saw that I always forget to uh, to talk about, and we had Aurora Nealon on as a guest, and and it's kind of her, her thing, and I forgot to ask her, but you played in this this performance called saxadrone yeah okay yeah and you play bass saxophone in that yeah and that's for you know saxophone players uh you know are always big on long tones well yeah. all, all everyone all horn players yeah. string players you know long tones so you guys play long tones yeah it's calisthenics for your face right 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 so so Aurora had this idea, I guess, that, that you get all these saxophone players in a room and play long tones. And uh, I, I saw a couple of, uh, like, one performance of it. Maybe you did another one or something, but uh, that was a few years ago. That was uh, before the pandemic. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know. That was it was it was incredible, man. I I loved being in that room. Uh, here, here, I mean, it's the, pretty trance-inducing. Yeah, yeah, man. All the overtones that yeah. gets that get set up, man. That was crazy. Yeah, I agree. You yeah. know, that's I mean, it's Aurora's thing. She's just got to put out the bat signal, and we'll be right. I'm right. Sure, we'll be ready. 
Well, and speaking of Aurora, uh, and and you know, I know you were just up in Chicago with with this uh, Instigation Festival. Yeah, uh-huh. it's uh, a lot of experimental. Uh, well, you you talk about that some. So uh, it's this guitar player Steve Marquette, who's a Chicago guy. He started it, and the idea was to, you know, there there been a lot of fruitful regional collaborations in the Chicago kind of avant-garde jazz scene that have led to a lot of things over the years. I think Steven noticed that, like these Norwegian guys that had come to Chicago and made a lot of noise, and then these new bands that came from that were able to tour and do things, and then similar things with like guys from New York coming to Chicago because like the free jazz thing is pretty deep there. Right. Uh, but, you know, like anything, it can get stagnant, so having some new blood and some new practices from outside can kind of revitalize us. You know, we would have to ask Steve. I'm kind of, okay. this is my external kind of analysis about whether that was his motivation. But I know he loves New Orleans and New Orleans music and had been coming here for that anyway. And it was just like, we should do something like that for New Orleans and Chicago. So it was this event. It became this festival that happens in like the very, the earlier part of Mardi Gras in New Orleans for five days and then happens in September in Chicago for five days, and it's been annual that way. Okay. And where, you know, like the the kind of sh- visiting Chicagoans are kind of like more of the, they get the better payday and are the more featured players here, and then we're, we get that treatment when we go up there. Nice. And we had a lot of uh, Trouble Men podcast guests up there, uh, Helen Jolet. Uh, yeah, uh, Doug Garrison. Right. And... Uh, has Brad Walker been on the podcast? I know he, he absolutely he, has. He, yes. I, know, I know he has. One, a, of, one of the few tenor players, one of the few straight yeah. tenor players. I think you actually referred to the show as the baritone saxophone show. Yeah. Because right. <laughs> <laughs> we've uh, had so many great uh, Barry players yeah. on here. Man. Yeah. Well, I mean, he hasn't done it in a few years, but he's done. he has done it. Uh, yeah, what a fucking great player that yeah, guy I mean, is. He's a freak. Holy cow, he is yeah. a freak. Yeah. <laughs> he plays great Barry too. Yeah, I'll bet he does, man. He's got uh, such a such such a big sound on the tenor. Man. I mean, he knows I hate tenor players that play Barry, so he knows that's a compliment coming from me. Like, <laughs> you so, so you really don't play much tenor, huh? Uh, you know, I was really dogmatic about being a Barry player. Right on, man. For like a really that. a really long time, and then I eventually decided that all dogma is bad. Okay. And kind of backed away from my extreme position. But I'm glad that I did it because I'm a person that has trouble, like, setting reasonable limitations for myself. So the fact that I, like, so, like, I wasn't trying to play, like, nine different kinds of saxophones and clarinets and flutes and, Mm -hmm. like, really kind of got good at something because of this dogma. So there was that. Also, I think that, you know, just, just... Pragmatically, you know, you you play tenor, and then you're, you know, this is also when Tim Green was still alive. Was when I was coming up. Tim Green was a big mentor for me. Okay. But you're competing with Tim Green for gigs. Who wants to compete with Tim Green for gigs? Right, right. Yeah, no, it makes sense. You I know mean, what I mean? You gotta, you're gonna, you're, 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 specialization. Yeah, you're gonna go out there and play Barry and be adamant and be a proselytizer for it. Like anything you can do, Mr. Tenor Player, I can do better. And I have another, all these low notes you can't play. Right. You know, yeah. I, I love the, I, I think the Barry has such a sweet sound, like, you know, when you're talking about Jerry Mulligan, like, I love Jerry Mulligan's tone in the, the upper red. Yeah, I mean, when I said I wasn't into it, that was when I was like 13. Right, right, know? right, right. It's a different attitude now. Right, but, but I mean, like, yeah. you think of the, the Barry as being like a, a croaking, uh, you know, low, low end thing, but it's really got a, a beautiful 
timbre in the in the upper register, man. It's yeah, really and I mean, singing. you know, and you have access to all these overtones that you don't have access to on smaller saxophones because the fundamental frequency is so much lower. Mm -hmm. So there's all this variation you can do with the sound. Not that you can't do that on the smaller saxophones, but it's just just can't hear. It's just well. really right there for you. Right. It's very very accessible. Right. I mean, as saxophone players understand what I'm talking about. It's like a physical thing. Like the uh -huh. physical manipulations to do the same thing on the smaller saxophones are just more difficult. Okay. Now, uh, uh, for the Barry, uh, you, you like the the Barrys with the with the low A or no low A? I'm a low A guy. Okay. I didn't used to be. Because there's like the. Uh, I'm the, a lo I'm low A and modern instrument. Okay. Because no, a lot of people vintage. have. This is, you know, a lot like, of people have opinions on that. Strong like, ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I did. I. The better I got at the instrument, the softer my opinions got. Okay. Because I feel like a lot of these things that people have decided about the instrument are true if your abilities are not developed. Like, when your abilities are developed, the instrument does you. You are the master of the instrument. And so at that point, it's just like what makes you comfortable. Okay. It's not... It's not giving you a sound. You have the sound. Sure, sure. The sound is in your head. It's just now. Like, I, now I do yeah. think that, like, even when I was a professional, but a younger professional, and and not hadn't practiced as much, that I was getting more out of the saxophone itself. Hmm. But I, I think I'm in this phase now where I'm good enough at the baritone saxophone. What I'm looking for is a tool to get me where I'm going. It's not like the destination of itself. Like, oh, the saxophone has a great, such a great tone. Like the sound is, I make the sound. Yeah, the saxophone doesn't make any sound and, on and, its own. And it's, yeah, yeah. it's just a fact that from a standpoint of the resonance and the tuning and the measurable variables of where you put the tone holes and how thick you make the metal and all these various factors that you can change and manipulate as an instrument maker, that the engineering is just superior on a modern instrument. Okay. Like that is an objective fact. Right. You can we can get into subjective opinions about tone and how easy it is to get to the tone a individual player might want on a vintage versus a new instrument, but as far as this, these engineering concerns are, are, as far as the engineering is concerned, it's an objective fact that the a well-made new instrument is superior. And like I'm in a position where I'm playing incredibly technically demanding music all the time in wildly varying scenarios. It's like, I'm not trying to be like Joe Cabral. This is a person I get in the most arguments with this about this. And like, Joe is like Mr. Vintage, but and I'm not trying to talk Joe out of that. Right. For what Joe does, it makes perfect sense for like his vibe and his aesthetic. It's like, he's, it's all about vibe. Mm. And like these instruments that are handmade and not mass produced and have variation and like all of that stuff is true and all of if that's what you want but i want a, 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 an instrument with no personality he wants an instrument with maximum personality I see. right 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 like i will give it the personality because i can't be stuck in this totally vibed out situation i go and play an old school r&b gig i'll make it vibey but it's going to be a lot easier for me to go and do a pop r&b session and really nail the minutia of tuning and phrasing or go play some some Jonathan Freilich's music that's freaking impossible and the instrument is not getting in my way because because it's you know we're it's engineering of 50 years ago right 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 
Well, speaking of Jonathan Freilich, so uh, you know he, he has several groups. One of them being the 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 Klezmer All Stars uh, that that you you play in. Playing that music, does it, do you do you find a uh, does it resonate with you in any kind of spiritual way or any kind of? Uh, oh, totally. being a man from the east. Yes. Being a man. From, I mean, yeah. you know, it's like my life is has a lot to do with being Jewish, right? I mean, like I'm a secular Jew, but like you know, I grew up in Squirrel Hill in Pittsburgh. It was a Jewish enclave. I was bar mitzvahed. My dad is the son of two Holocaust survivors. Mm. You know, I present outwardly as a very obvious ethnic Jew, and that has created situations for better and worse in my life. Yeah. Including as a musician, you know. It's like people love to tell me Jew this to this day, Jew this, Jew that to this day. I could get sa- I could get saved tomorrow. I'm still going to be getting Jew this, Jew that because of my outward appearance. You know uh, what I mean? So uh-huh. it's like, you know, to be able to go and like, like be like, okay, fine, yeah, here's some Jew shit. And it's fucking great, right? <laughs> you know oh, what you I mean? mean you, when you say Jew this and Jew that, it's like negative stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh oh really? <laughs> Go p- play music with some gospel musicians and see how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. And I do that a lot. Yeah. So you know, I don't but play don't gospel. The Jews but run the industry. You, you know, maybe maybe that's the issue here, man. I should be calling the. Uh, I, I got to get the plane over here. Right, and, right, right. You know, the, the space Kanye laser. The yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. Okay, so 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 it it, it feels uh, it feels right playing with the playing the music. With, I mean, yeah, and like yeah, I didn't yeah. necessarily grow up playing klezmer music like on the saxophone, but I definitely like grew up in temple hearing sounds that are related to that. Right, hearing those kind of scales. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, right. You know, so it's it's in there, and it comes pretty naturally to me to do so because it's like this subliminal programming. And and I always say, you know, particularly if if you're if you're secular, that playing music is the closest thing to a prayer that that you can get. You know, I mean, it is it is a form of, to me anyway, a a, a form of prayer because you have you know concentration, it's uh, you know, attention and time and devotion. You know, it has all the same elements uh, that that prayer contains. Oh yeah, I totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what's on the horizon for you? Going on tour? Yeah, I leave Monday. He, Renee reminded me of this. I was not super on top of that, but <laughs> you didn't yeah. know you were leaving because <laughs> I was asking him. I was saying you were gone all summer on on tour, and he said, "Yeah, I'm actually still gone." You know, yeah. <laughs> I said, "Oh yeah, that's right. You're just here for a week or something. Whoa. You're leaving on Monday." And Keith he goes, oh. Morris used to always say, "Just because you come home doesn't mean the tour is over." <laughs> <laughs> right. That's what he always used to say. <laughs> so can I tell you? Can I tell you guys my Art Neville story, which sure. is related yeah, to this? Yeah. Sure. Okay. So in the early, very early days of Trombone Shorty, we did. Speaking of fancy private gigs, we did a, a private for the Emerald Lagasse Foundation in Vegas. Okay. And it's us opening for the Neville Brothers. Mm-hmm. And if you if you've ever done a, a private event in Vegas, like Vegas doesn't really exist. It's just a soundstage. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. like I, I swear to God, it's not real. You know, because uh, you like. Because I've done a bunch of gigs at a bunch of different places, and it's all the same. You have this, like, what looks like a very permanent, done-up, impressive uh, hall, music hall, and then you, like, walk through this door, and it's like, no, this is a soundstage. There's a fucking, like, we're just in a giant airplane hangar or Uh something. So do sound check. 
they bring us through the door. We're in the airplane hangar, and they've got these weird, like, pipe and drape dressing rooms, temporary dressing rooms. Mm-hmm. So we post up in our dressing room to wait for the Nevels to finish their sound check. And we're just cutting up, telling jokes, having a good time. And Art lived for quite a while after this. He, like, actually got better, but he was in a bad way at this time. Okay. He was on oxygen 24-7 at this time. He eventually got off of it. We, like, lived another eight or nine years. But, you know, it looked like it wasn't going so great for him at this time, which is important to the story. So he's he's in a wheelchair. He's got this oxygen. He's got this handler that wheels him in. And, you know, we're super young and it's Art Neville, so the room just gets quiet and we're like, you know, waiting for the sage wisdom from the master, right? Mm-hmm. And he just kind of looks at us. He's like, I could hear you from the hallway. All that cutting up. I just had to come here and tell you. All that laughing and joking, it ain't going to last. <laughs> the road's got you. I look at your schedule. You guys are out eight, nine months a year already. There's no hope for you. You're stuck. You're addicted. There's no going back. And let me tell you again, all that laughing and joking ain't going to last. And it just like stares at us and has his handler like pull him out oh. right and so we're sitting in there like stunned you know <laughs> and, and like eventually the room just erupts in response to this like uh, what the fuck and so we're once again laughing and joking and he has the guy wheel him back in <laughs> to be like what, I go, just, what are you what what did I just tell you <laughs> yeah right what did I just tell you yeah <laughs> <laughs> Hey, buddy. See you later. Oh, man. All right. So, yeah, the road, it never ends. It's got you. Right on, man. You're doomed. And and you're you're going right back out there, man. Y'all got all kind of dates all the way through the I was 2009, and I'm still out here, so... Right on, right on, Dan. Well, we're very near the end here, but I, 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 I just have to, to say, you know, uh, I don't know if you remember, but uh, I will tell you, in my office, I have uh, your picture pinned up on my bulletin board right next to me. He's okay. stalking it's, you. It's a picture <laughs> of you post-Katrina. You're working for, it appeared in the newspaper. You're uh, working, you have a, a circular saw in your hand. You're working for Habitat for Humanity. You're wearing a an iguana's T-shirt in the <laughs> photograph, <laughs> which is why I cut it out and put it up there. So, uh, right on. Thank you for representing yeah. me, Dan. I got on Japanese television because of that photo. Oh, oh wow! Yeah. Right on. Right on. Well, uh, Dan, well, God. TV's big in Japan. It I is. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's TV and, and, and Tom Waits and the iguanas yeah. too. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. Um, well, God, Dan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, thank man. Thank you, man. This is, uh, you know, it's, it's exciting. Your career is exciting to me. Uh, and, uh, man, just uh, keep it up out there. Thank you. Thanks, man. And, and uh, I guess it's time to sign off, and the troubled nation knows what to do. Uh, well, uh, you know, because trouble, uh, the struggle continues. No, we, we say trouble never ends. Yeah, trouble never ends. But, but the, the struggle stru- continues. Yeah. Good, Good night.
Thank mm-hmm. you.